Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. I'm a big believer that we need to celebrate even the small victories in life. Your kids get a good report card, celebrate it. Get a raise at work, celebrate it. No traffic, celebrate it. Dan Landing, University of Oregon coach, joining us. All right, you came home last Saturday night. You got your first win as a head coach. I imagine your kids dogpiling you in the living room. <laughs> um, not quite. Yeah, not quite. They, 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 they certainly gave me congratulations after the game. You know, we had a couple of recruits on campus, got to hang out with them right after uh, the game, and then I came and caught the end of the BYU game. You know, that was a, that was a nice battle to watch. You watched the end of that. What would what'd you think? And, by the way, when you watch a game, you're watching the end of the game on TV, and then you get the film later where you can see everything you want to see. How different is that? Um, at the end of that one, there wasn't too many differences, uh, but sometimes you certainly catch a couple things you didn't see before. You know, I was just hoping that game would go in eight, you know, into eight overtimes or nine overtimes, but uh, I hope those guys might be a little worn out. But uh, no, it was it was uh, you know good to be able to catch the end of that from a TV copy standpoint, and then go back and watch the, the coaches' film. They're, BYU's pretty good on defense. Schematically, what do they do? What do you see on film? You know, it's just it's it's certainly a different um, you know defensive you know concept. They're not a I said this before, but not a cookie cutter operation. They uh, they shift, they motion uh, almost like you would offensively at times. You know, they'll stand their fronts. They match people with people. If you're bigger personnel, they're going to be bigger personnel as well. But uh, they do a good job of defending the edges. You know, they have a lot of hats outside, so it's hard to get perimeter plays on them, and uh, they play with great vision like zone break defense where they can really break on the ball. Um, a lot of guys seeing the ball at the same time. I think that's why they capitalize on some takeaways and uh, are able to swarm to the ball like they do. Did you learn more about your team in week one or week two? That's a great question. I don't I don't know. I, I You know, I, what I guess I would probably say is I learned more about my team in preparation for week two mm. uh, after week one, if that makes sense. Not necessarily yeah. the game. I think everybody wants to focus on the game, but – I was excited to see our guys face some adversity early in the season. And then, you know, you come out there for a Monday practice and you say, what's it going to look like? Um, those guys went to work. And it's not a – we're by no means a finished product. Uh, we have a lot more prep and practice and work to do between now and the last game of the season. But I was uh, certainly pleased with the work they put in last week and this past week. Yeah, and I think, too, like, you know, I always try to learn. I go back and listen to the shows. I go back and read what I write. Like, as a coach – you're evaluating your team. You're probably also evaluating yourself and your staff, aren't you? Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest things that, that we are tasked with doing, you know, as coaches is uh, a lot of people are going to go out there and they're going to do the same thing every single day. They're going to, you know, they just clock in and clock out for work, and that's certainly not our operation. We want to be able to do it the best. Uh, if you do it the best, that means you're constantly assessing yourself and evaluating how you can be better. 
now. I, I sometimes I need to step away from work. I'll go get a coffee somewhere. I got I have coffee at home. My wife says we have coffee here. Why do you need to go? I go. I I need to get away. It changes scenery. Do you ever need to step away from football? Get a workout? Go for a walk? Go for a run? See a movie? What do you do? I need to do it more. Uh, the season it's hard. You know, during the season it's really hard. Um, you know, our nutritionist has these new like hard boiled eggs that she's been buying. Okay. Um, it's it's kind of cool. So I'll just do like a small stroll down towards the locker room, grab some hard-boiled eggs, and then go back up to my office. I, I know that's not a long walk, but that's a nice, like, hey, I've been staring at the film for a while here. Uh, need to walk down the hallway and grab a hard-boiled egg. So, what, what, Are there something special <laughs> about them, or are they just, are they just hard-boiled no. normal? <laughs> well, I don't eat very much during the season. Like, I generally lose weight during the season, so i got to figure out a way to kind of keep my – you know, I, I pack on weight. It's like I'm getting ready for hibernation in the summer. You know what I mean? Like I put on, I put on some serious pounds in the summer and in prep leading up to season. And then once the season comes around, it's just coffee for me, really until like night, right? And then when you get home at eleven or twelve at night, you walk in and you hope there's something cool in the fridge that you can eat, right? But I generally lose, I lose a lot of weight during during football season. Um, but, yeah, I think these hard-boiled eggs are going to help me maintain my weight this year. That's my plan. Dan Lanning, grizzly bear, is with us uh, as he hibernates <laughs> and gets ready for the, for the season. Uh, look, let's talk about your offense. Uh, I know everybody wants to make you a defensive-minded guy, but I thought you know your offense had a really nice time of things last week. And what did, what did you leave the game feeling great about? Well, you know, it's hard to put together some of the drives that uh, our guys were able to put together, and I think it means you have to be operating kind of as one. You know, we, we left the game and we said, wow, we were able to kind of go the long, hard way. You know, but a lot of times you'll say that defensively, say, hey, can these guys really, truly go down the field and create plays, um, but eventually they're going to make a mistake. Our offense didn't make a lot of mistakes. You know, they were able to drive the ball down the field, uh, you know, get a lot of first downs, but not necessarily a lot of explosive plays. Um, so I think that's something probably that we're looking for uh, moving forward is creating some more of those, those uh, you know, positive explosive plays to where you don't necessarily um, have to go eight plays for 80 yards or 10 plays for, um, you know, 57 yards. We're looking to create some more, say, three plays, 60-yard, you know, drives. Uh, that being said, when you do that, I think that's pretty impressive from an operational standpoint. So continue to see us operate at a high level is something I'm looking for and then create some more explosives in the process. Do you Are you finding, you know, I know when we started the season we went, hey, there's like five guys in the backfield that could carry the ball. Are, are you starting to establish a guy or two pecking order-wise running the football? I don't know that, uh, I don't know that we completely have yet. Um, again, for me, it's all about winning football. Right, and how many guys do you have that can play winning football? The more guys you have, obviously, the benefit that is to our program. You know, if you limit yourself and say, "Well, these are the only two guys that can touch the ball," then you're probably doing yourself a disservice if you have other guys that are certainly capable. Um, and I, I, that's why I feel like with our group, we have, you know, strength in numbers. We have a bunch of guys that can help us and benefit us uh, out there on the field, and that's how we're going to use them. You know, I liked what you said after the opening week, and you kind of said, "Okay, you know, here, here's here's the benchmark. There's the bar." You know, let's see how we respond. You know, you got an idea of what, you know, you knew what Georgia football was about. I think the rest of us sort of saw, okay, there's work to do. Um, were, you talked about the response your guys had, you know, because I think there's a real risk there in week one, the way that went, that, you know, you maybe you lose some guys. But it looked like 
everybody kind of put their head down and said, all right, we have work to do and, and let's get going. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, nobody's going to feel sorry for you. We certainly don't feel sorry for ourselves. We have work to do, like you said, and our guys embrace that. Um, you know, the benchmark's really high there. That, that's a really good team. And for us to be what we want to be, you know, before we got work to do. And I think that's what every one of our guys understood. And, and they went out there on Monday practice and said, let's go. Dan Lanning with us, University of Oregon football coach. Bo Nix, um, were you, you know, obviously came back statistically, looked good in week two. Week one, I was worried about him after the game. I know you know him way better than I do. Um, you know, what do you tell, tell a kid like Bo Nix after a tough game like that? You know, it's, uh, he, he didn't play the way he wanted to play, but I'm, it, it's interesting how much attention, obviously, it's the quarterback position, and that's yeah. the way it works. But there's a lot of people that didn't play very well or the way we want to play in that game, and a lot of coaching that we could have done better uh, as a staff. So he certainly doesn't shoulder all that blame. All I wanted him to know, and every one of our players know, is I'm your head coach, and I'm responsible for what we put on the field, and we can be better, um, you know, individually and as a coaching staff and, and us as players. So he doesn't shoulder all that. Um, you know, the result of, of game one, he was part of that, just like I was part of that. But we both know what we're capable of, and we can go out there and perform better, and I think he understands that. Yeah, I think sometimes coaches will say, you know, they're not they're not nervous as game day approaches because, hey, now it's about the players. We've done what we can do to prepare them. It's about them now, and they're very relaxed. How you know how, how were you last week as the kickoff approach to Eastern Washington? Did you feel feel good about you know did you I guess what I'm asking is did you see that coming because you guys looked great I'm nervous before every game I've never played in a football game where I'm not nervous well I'm always thinking about you know what's next what what can we do better what could go wrong what could go right uh I, I, if I go inside right now and I, you know, I if I get home later on the night I play checkers with Titan you know I'm gonna be nervous about competing with them that's just that's just my nature so uh I never really get comfortable that's that's not who I am yeah, your dad told me your senior year of high school, you guys made the playoffs. You went on this long trip. The whole town took a bus. You went going over to play this powerhouse rival Missouri school. You, what's the name of it? You know Harrisonville. it. Harrisonville. Harrisonville. Okay. All right. It didn't go the way you planned. I thought about that no. after, after Georgia game. I thought about that because I thought, you know, little Daniel Lanning, yeah. he's had adversity before in his life. Do you draw on that? Man, that Harrisville game. Gosh, that was frustrating. They uh you know, they ran a reverse like on the very first series and I had a pair like after the season's over, you know, I sometimes you get to keep your jersey and you get to keep some of your you know, some of your memorabilia. I had a pair of pants that my football pants that I wore in that game and they were stained blue. They're still probably stained blue today because I never washed them after that game. I just kinda wanted to remember how it went wrong, you know what I mean? Yeah. And performing after that. But uh yeah, Harrison was a good team. You learn from moments like that and give you a chance to get better. I think it's interesting because some people don't want to think about it, don't want to forget it, but you, you wanted to keep those pants because that sort of signified, hey, uh, I, I have growth to make here. Yeah, I mean, I, I've probably watched this Georgia game. Um, I mean, that's I I the one we're all in on. I've probably watched that game more than anybody else because there's so many opportunities for us to grow. Every, I said this before, but everybody wants to work on their strengths. Nobody really wants to focus on their weaknesses, right? If I'm really good at throwing the ball, you go out there and throw it. If you want to, if you're really good at catching the ball, you can go out there and catch passes. Well, how about we work on the things we're not great at? And uh, that's what I hope to pride myself in as a coach, and I hope that's what our players do as well. And I think they've done that.
you know. Now, that being said, BYU's a really good team. You know, we're, we're going to have to bring our absolute best effort in this game. You know, they have a lot of great talent, um, a lot of experience. Um, but our guys, I think, are, are ready for that challenge. Dan Lanning, uh, I appreciate you joining us. I will see you at the stadium. Good luck to you this week. I think it's a, I think it's a kind of game where we're gonna we're gonna kind of see where you guys are two weeks later, and I think it's a great opportunity for your team. Thank you. I appreciate it, John. Have a great one. All right, Dan Lanning, there he is, hard boiled eggs and all. Love that. He's hibernating. He hibernates. He packs the uh, weight on for football season where he loses the weight. Uh, and I love that little bit at the end, too, where he says, you know, he's watched that Georgia game more than anybody else. Then you can hear him as he kind of doesn't want to disrespect BYU, right? And then he turns, he suddenly wakes up and goes, and BYU's a heck of a team. But I get what he's doing there because anybody who's got any kind of personal pride, anybody who has a professional pride that that is burning in the way that you can tell, like – Dan, he knew that high school game, the blue pants, the reverse play on the first play like it was yesterday. Anybody who's got that kind of pride would go back and pour over when things didn't go right and want to know, all right, what could I have done here? What could I have done there? Now, I think Georgia in week one, I frankly think it was about Georgia having a six foot seven inch 270-pound tight end and guys like that and a corner that is going to be a first-round draft pick. And uh, a couple of offensive linemen that will play on Sundays. And in in the end, I think I don't know would have mattered if Vince Lombardi was over on the Oregon sideline. I think you could have put Dan Lanning and Kirby Smart and said, "Hey, coaching staff, switch sides." Score might have been the same. But I still admire the drive of a coach who says, "You know, I've watched that game more than anybody," uh, because it tells me that he's looking and looking and looking. As he said, the things you don't do well, those are the things you got to focus on. Leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Dan Landing, University of Oregon coach, joined us last segment. Anna, you were, uh, you were kind of eavesdropping on that. Steven, Sean, you guys were here for it. Uh, what do you think of Lanning's appearance? I think he's very grounded. You know, I, I think he's pragmatic and realistic and is just, I, I like that he's calm. He's not, like, he's somebody who, like, I feel like is comfortable in his own skin. And um, I, I think he's a good leader. I'll, I'll see if it turns into victories. Yeah, he comes across as, you know, he doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, right? You know, you could get really low after that Georgia loss in your first game as a coach, but I think he understands, like, you know, this is a process, this is my first game, and now he could get really high after his first win at Eastern Washington, and you kind of wanted him to celebrate it. He's like, yeah, you know, whatever, it was awesome, it was my first win, but, you know, we're on to the next one, we got to get better. So I think that's good as a coach, right? Like, you want your coaches to be down-to-earth and not super emotional. We see what the problems that emotion can have in sports, especially. So to have a head coach, the leader of the team, not being overly emotional, I think is good. 
I also like how he, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like he takes himself too seriously. You know, like when he was talking about uh, how he has those hard-boiled eggs to help, you know, keep him, uh, keep his weight up during the season. Like, you know, it's just not, it's not all football for him in an interview like that, which I, I appreciate, you know, a coach that is able to kind of make jokes. And uh, there was a couple of couple of moments in that interview that uh, that were definitely definitely positive for me. I like the stuff that's outside the box. You know, I like him talking about the blue pants in high school and that game like he knew like you could feel the pain in his voice when he was talking about losing that high school game for people who don't know i wrote i called his dad up and i ended up writing about landing before the season and his dad i said to his dad i said give me an example of a time when things just went sideways for your kid like show me, like you know dealing with adversity he and dad went right to that game against harrisonburg or whatever that school was that landing was talking about because that school was like the equivalent what's the equivalent of a Jesuit in the Portland metropolitan area. It's the powerhouse. It's the biggest school. It's the school, you know, kids at the beginning of the year go, they're going to be in the, they're going to be tough to beat. And Lanning's high school is a small town high school in rural Missouri. And they got into that title game and they somehow made it to the state championship game and they got boat raced. And young Daniel Lanning did not take it well after the game. Like it was, you could tell now it stuck with him. He said he didn't wash the pants after the game. <laughs> Kept the memory. Probably still has them on. You know, probably still wears them. Puts them on, runs around the house you know, on a Friday night. <laughs> yeah, some people keep their trophies from high school. You know, the medals that they win at track events. He's kept the pants from a loss, a devastating loss. Well, it's a reminder, though. Like, you know, because we all, like, what is the thing? Like, I, I've been around really good coaches who won't put any of their trophies up. Yeah. You know, Caleb Porter, the former Timbers coach who won a MLS Cup. I went to his house one time. He didn't have anything up. And I said, you, have, you were coach of the year. You guys won a championship. And he's like, when I'm done, when I'm done, I'll put it up. He didn't want it, doesn't want it around him, doesn't want the reminders of the success around him. Instead, uh, these guys dwell on the negative. And I think a lot of successful people are motivated by the fear of failure and the fear of, you know, you know basically not be, being found out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, it's the competitiveness, right? Like you can tell that that loss really bothers him, and so he's always going to hold that. And so I think it's good, you know, as a coach, like he wants to win every single game and he's going to be competitive and work hard because a lot of the most successful athletes, they like, you know, they, they like not losing more than they like winning, right? And I think that's kind of where Dane Lanning is, where he just hates losing so much that it's going to stick with him. Also think it's interesting he watched the Georgia game more than anybody. He's not watching the Eastern Washington game. Because they, they put up a 70-burger, you know? Mm -hmm. They scored 70 points. It was too easy. He's going back. He's watching the Georgia game. And then he kind of caught himself at the end of the interview. And he was like, you know, I've watched that tape more than anything. And then he's starting. And then I could hear him go, oh, I don't want BYU to think I don't take them seriously. Mm -hmm. But he's like, BYU is a good team. He went right to BYU, you know? <laughs> and I thought that was interesting as well. I, I, Steven thinks they're going to win easily. I think they're going to win, but I I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to expect from Oregon. And that's not normal in week two. I usually have a really – like last year, week two, they went to Ohio State. I knew who they were when they went to Ohio State. Mm -hmm. I don't know now. Here we are in week three. 
I don't know who they are. Do you have a better sense after that interview with them of who they are and who he is as a coach? Yeah, I, I know who he is. Learn about that. I know who he is. I don't know what this team is yet. I'm going to find out on Saturday. I think we're all going to find out on Saturday. If they go in there and they play really well and they look uh, efficient and Bo Nix looks good and they punch BYU in the nose and they win that game, all of a sudden we're all going to go, what's the ceiling? Nine wins? Ten wins? Like, we'll be right back there. It, because week one, they got a Georgia team. It wasn't a fair fight. You know, and then it wasn't a fair fight in week two. They were so much better than Eastern Washington. So there's somewhere in between Eastern Washington and Georgia. We're going to find out where. And it's it's week three, and this is going to be Dan Lanning's first, like, coach, like, competitive, close, you know, like, and really important coaching decisions games because you, you mentioned it. They've faced the extremes now, the be- probably the best team in the country, and then a team that doesn't belong on the field with Oregon. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, it's, it's, it's already week three, and, you know, Dan Lanning, he's going to be making some big decisions in this game for the first time, really. John, you have the perspective of having known, like, in a really unique way, Cristobal, Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich, uh, Bellotti. How does he compare to those coaches in terms of his philosophy, his how he gets the, the team motivated? Like, who did those kids play for when they were under their coaches? And will these kids be playing for Dan Lanning or themselves? Like, how does he how does he compare to those guys? I, I think Mario Cristobal was more evolved as a CEO type, you know, because of his experience at Alabama coaching under Nick Saban. And then he had been a head coach before, and this was his second time. So I think Mario Cristobal was super appreciative of the opportunity. He knew how valuable the opportunity was. So I saw him week to week basically going, I'm not going to squander this opportunity. This is a great opportunity. Uh Dan Lanning is more, uh, I think, a little more in it. He's younger, doesn't quite know what he doesn't know with some things. I think he's still kind of figuring out how to be a head coach. I think we're going to see that. We saw it with Chip Kelly. I watched Chip Kelly do the same thing. Chip Kelly, when he first came on the scene at Oregon, I don't think he handled discipline very well. Mm-hmm. And as a result, he had some problems. He had some problems with some players off the field who got in trouble. The kicker got in a fight. There was this other thing. Yeah. You know, he didn't suspend a player who got uh, arrested. Mm-hmm. And it was a big kind of a – there was kind of some questions about, like, hey, where did the structure of the program go? Yeah. And by year two or three, Chip Kelly had locked down. He changed. Right. Because I remember we had a big argument in year one. <laughs> where he came on radio and we were arguing on radio and he was yelling at me and then he called me off air and we got in an argument because it was the off season. He had a player get arrested. He didn't suspend the player. He said, what's the point of suspending the guy? We don't have a game. Uh And I say, you suspend him so that other guys in your team know that if you get arrested, you get suspended. That's what you do. And then he said, well, we're going to see. And I said, well, I wonder what your guys like where their heads are. And he goes, well, you're going to call back and apologize to me. And it was a big (laughs) argument. So by year two, he had a player get in trouble. He suspended him. I texted him. I said, huh, like, look at you. (laughs) Like he learned, though. And he learned. And now you see him. He has kind of a structure for his program. Sure. Mark Helfrich, bless his soul, was a really good coordinator. He just didn't have that thing that you need a head coach to have, that leadership thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would trust Helfrich to recruit a player. Yeah. I would trust him to work one-on-one with a player. Mm-hmm. I'd trust him to game plan, coach practices, call plays during games. 
but I don't want that guy to be the CEO. Mm -hmm. He just wasn't a CEO. Some people aren't. Mm -hmm. It's no indictment of him personally. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know Willie Taggart enough. He wasn't here long enough. <laughs> I forgot. Like, he, <laughs> I didn't even mention Taggart. Right, I forgot. Taggart wanted, you know, he played the game. Yeah, you know? sure. He, he played the game. And uh, you know, Taggart was interesting. Yeah. Because he and I were, you know, kind of behind the scenes. You know, initially when he first got here, I reached out to him. He didn't respond. Mm-hmm. And then I just texted him. I made it a point to text him like once a week. Mm -hmm. it, regardless if he would reply or not, I just sent him a text. Right. Sent him a text. Sent him a text. And after about four weeks, he realized this guy's not going away. <laughs> and so he finally replied and he said, okay, you and I will talk. And we will, a restraining order. Yeah, you and I are going to talk. I didn't like bombard him, but I one know, text a week going, yeah. you know, with something I was thinking about. Right. And I kind of just let him know I'm not going anywhere. Like, you're just going to get a text a week from me if, not, if this is how it's going to go. But I didn't get to know him well enough to know, you know, what he was about, really. And then how about Bilotti? Bilotti was a CEO. Yeah. I didn't know. I, I got the feeling with Bilotti because I knew him towards the end of his tenure. I got here in 2002, and then he leaves like six years later. Mm -hmm. Okay? So I had about five, six seasons with him. Um, he really enjoyed being the CEO of the program. I think he misses it. And he was it. good at it. Yeah, and he was good at he it. He was good. The opposite of Helfrich. Really good at it, delegated, liked being the guy out front, yeah. liked being the CEO. Here's the little dirty little secret, though. And I think he misses it even today. I think it's why he kind of pops up around it. Right. I don't think he loved it. Like, I don't think Mike Bellotti loved the actual yeah. kind of the hands-on, the recruiting in the off-season, whatever. And he I think we the role, the role uh, yeah. you know, but he liked being the CEO. Okay. And, you know, some guys are good, like, working behind the scenes. Right. He was good, like, working over the top of the operation. Right. And I great think. Great with boosters. Great, great with boosters. Great at all the events, the handshaking yep. and all that. Strong with the media. Okay, so where and, does Dan Landing fit with, the, with all those guys? Like, he's figuring it out. Okay. He's figuring it out. And the thing that Bellotti had is he had Nick Aliotti as his defensive coordinator. Fantastic. Yeah. The offensive coordinator position revolved a little bit. He had Gary Croton in there. Andy Ludwig is now at Utah, came in there for a spell, and then Chip Kelly. So he was kind of tinkering going, I don't know what I want on offense. Let me bring in a new guy. Let me bring in a new guy. I, I get the feeling that Dan Lanning at some point is going to have to step back and be a head coach because I feel a little bit of him in it. You can see him on the sideline. He's very emotional on the sideline. Mm -hmm. He's got, you know, he's – a little bit more like Cristobal in that way, mm -hmm. that, you know, they're in it. Yeah, you know? and he clearly, like, I think he does enjoy the game. Like, he's yeah. passionate about the game and the process of being a head coach. Yes. Doesn't it seem like? Yeah, and did you hear his voice? Yeah, I wondered if yeah. he was, like, under the weather. No, he's been yelling. <laughs> you know? Not all, not all coaches sound that way. Mm -hmm. He's been yelling. There's always a guy or two or three on the staff who yells. Nick Aliotti, former Oregon D coordinator, he was the yeller. He was the guy. He didn't have a voice by the end of the season. Mm -hmm. And Lanning's like, what are we in, week three? Mm -hmm. He sounds like, you know, he's lost it, mm -hmm. you know? So we're going to find out. I, I think he's still – we're going to watch him grow. That's the best part. He's the youngest coach in Power 5 football. Mm -hmm. We're going to get to watch him grow, good or bad. You know? That's what it's about. Leave it here. Get the BFT. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.